it was just normal to us um, because it happened every day, this verbal abuse and this insane amount of pressure to be perfect um, and being terrified to make a mistake every day um, was normal, uh, became normal. Um, but by the time, yeah, but by the time I got to Beijing, like that whole year, like the, the pressure of making, you know, six, the six, the team was six girls out of all the gymnasts in Australia and the amount of times that I'd been told I'd never get there or I was worthless or. Hello, beautiful people. On today's podcast, we have the positively infectious Olivia Vivian. Olivia is a former Australian gymnast, having competed in the 2008 Summer Olympics, 2005, 2006 and 2014 World Championships and the 2014 Commonwealth Games as a bar specialist. More recently, Olivia is a notable competitor on Australian Ninja Warrior. Having first made an appearance in the inaugural season in 2017, and subsequently each season since. Having made history by being both the first female to make the grand final, then following this for the second year in a row, and in 2020 becoming the first female and only female to make it to the second stage of the grand final. She has also competed in American Ninja Warrior and the Ninja World Championships, where she established a women's world record for the international standard of the long speed course. What I personally love about this conversation is Olivia's absolutely vivacious energy. She is certainly for me one of the most endearing people I have met, with a combination of animated expression and focused intellect. Last year, Olivia spoke out about the toxic culture behind Australia's elite gymnastics program As she shares, after competing at the Summer Olympics, she became a broken athlete and a broken person. It is in this conversation that we explore deeper into this very raw experience for Olivia, how such a quote-unquote messed up experience can become normalized, how such experience created a core belief within her that she is worthless, and how the practice of self-belief and self-worth has helped her to gradually overcome it. We speak about the journey of Australian Ninja Warrior, what it is like to compete against her partner Ben Polson, and the pressure that comes with being an Australian female icon, both from an audience standpoint and that of production. If you are enjoying this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, share with friends and family, become part of the To Be Human Collective, And I am certain that you are going to absolutely love this conversation with the beautiful Olivia Vivian. Welcome to the To Be Human podcast, Olivia Vivian. Oh, thank you. Sorry. I thought there was more coming there. We would have waited for a while before I said anything. (laughs) You know what? That has happened quite a few times. Maybe I need to sort that out. (laughs) No, not short and snappy. I love it. So, Olivia, I, I'm going to dive deep into our conversation pretty quickly here because um, yep. it's a topic that I really respect you for coming out and speaking about. And that is you recently came out and spoke about the toxic culture within certain elite sporting environments. 
specifically to you in relation to gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And to my understanding, you began gymnastics around the age of eight years old and yep. it was a passionate activity for you. But it was in an article I read more recently that you described yourself in the 2008 Summer Olympics as a broken athlete and a broken person. Mm-hmm. So I would love for you to share, Olivia, your journey of being an eight-year-old girl, just finding her passion in gymnastics to becoming an athlete that got to a point in your life where you described yourself as broken. Yeah. Even, you know, thinking about it now, I still remember the day I walked into the gym as an eight-year-old girl and my mum dragged me along and her goal was for me to try rhythmic gymnastics, the one with the ball and the ribbon, the one that she would probably say is safer. Um, But I walked into the gym and looked over and there was this girl on the uneven bars just going around in circles and I was memorised and from that day I said, I have to do this, I want to do this. And it was something that I just genuinely fell in love with like kids do, Um, but I was really passionate about it. I never missed a session. I would rather go to gymnastics than my friend's birthday parties or holidays or anything. Um, And a couple of years later, some scouts came out from the Elite Institute, uh, scouted myself and invited me to do a three-month trial. Initially, I didn't want to go because I loved my coach in my um, PCYC club gymnastics but she encouraged me to go and I guess there's more room for growth and opportunity in an institute like that. Um, but I definitely noticed it was very different. Um, almost instantly there was sort of a dress code. Um, there was a certain length. You had to have your hair so it would go up in a ponytail and not flick you in the eye. Uh, you couldn't be late. You'd get in trouble for talking or laughing. Um, yeah, it was it was different a lot more strict a lot more rules um but at the same time you know I was like almost 10 years old and I was learning backflips so who cares <laughs> whatever um and then a couple of years later I watched um the Sydney Olympics on the TV and Alana Slater who was a girl that trained in my gym was on the TV and I just thought that was the coolest thing ever and um from that day I was like I want to I want to be on TV (laughs) or I want to go to the Olympics was uh, sort of, I guess, my goal. Right. Um, And, you know, I think it's funny, goals evolve and your why Mm -hmm. changes over the years. And um, I had this kid, my crush, that was sitting next to me in year seven and he told me I never go to the Olympics. And in my head I was like, I'm going to the Olympics and you're going to marry me is what I was thinking. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, my, my why um, to try and get there was I wanted to be on TV and I wanted to marry my crush. Um, <laughs> yep, good old, you know, 12-year-old things. And over the years it sort of evolved. Once I sort of learnt and understood a little bit more about the Olympics and the history and what an honour it is to represent your country at that level of sport, mm. uh, my why changed over the years, um, more so to be able to put on that green and gold and uh, reach that pinnacle um, of your sport. But it was it was tough. And I remember over the years sort of, you know, I did gymnastics because I loved it and I was passionate and I loved learning new tricks. And then towards the end I felt like I was doing it just for the goal. 
I'd sort of mm. lost a lot of love because it was this environment, you know, our head coach was this Russian man who spoke poor English and, um, yeah, just looking back now, like I don't, we trained six days a week, two times a day, um, and you'd get yelled at almost every session. And it was very focused on what you're doing wrong all the time. It was it was very rare that there was a compliment thrown out in the gym. Um, at the same time, you know, you do it and everyone's in the same boat. So even now, like looking bad, looking back at it, a part of me still feels really bad because it's it was just normal to us um, because it happened every day this verbal abuse and this insane amount of pressure to be perfect um, and being terrified to make a mistake every day um, was normal, uh, became normal. Um, but by the time, yeah, by the time I got to Beijing, like that whole year, like the, the pressure of making, you know, six, the six, the team was six girls, out of all the gymnasts in Australia and the amount of times that I'd been told I'd never get there or I was worthless or um, because I was a bar specialist mostly uh, and, yeah, just the pressure of the trial itself was intense and then once I was selected, uh, which was amazing, it went from, you know, the sickening feeling of sitting there waiting for your name to be called to the greatest feeling in the world when you were called up in that six. Um, a couple of days later, there was a petition put against my spot on the team by another girl um, or by her father, actually, because um, it is. It's it, You do train. I trained 11 years for this opportunity, and I guess I was selected as a bar specialist. Um, I'd broken my foot in the trials. So I fractured my foot doing floor. Um, and I remember this petition went against my spot and I was told that I had to make every single bar routine to keep my spot. And we were in a six-week training camp, training three times a day. And when you do sort of one event, <sighs> I think there's just a lot of pressure, too much pressure for, you know, a 19-year-old uh, to handle and I remember I just training bars almost three times a day. The rips I had on my hand, like we'd chalk up the bar and by the end of the session it just looked like a candy cane from all this blood that had come off. And, oh, yeah, the, I mean, the petition got dropped, which was a huge relief. Um, and, it, like, Beijing itself uh, was incredible like competing at the olympic games for your country it's just it is an experience you'll never ever forget mm. um, and we competed to our to our best potential and finished sixth in the world which is still the highest uh, result australia's ever gotten women's artistic gymnastics so it was it was incredible but yeah i was uh, i'd lost my love i'd felt mm. yeah like you mentioned totally broken you know physically um, from all the training and very little rest and, you know, this fracture I had in my foot and my hands torn up, my shoulders done, um, and then, yeah, just mentally broken from being terrified to make a mistake for six weeks and the pressure that comes along with it was, yeah, it was full on. It was intense. So, yeah, it was, uh, I, I think I was raised in a pressure cooker. Let's just say that. Right. 
because you do say that like you know the environment was so normalized mm-hmm. was it at the 2008 olympics that you realized that this wasn't normal or was it sort of years after that you were able to reflect and be like okay that wasn't healthy for any of us to be doing we um you know it's funny when all the gymnasts when we catch up and we, we just chat about all these things, all these crazy experiences that we're just like, that was so messed up. And up until early last year, we'd giggle about it, we'd laugh about it because it is it was so normalised and we thought it was there was nothing wrong with it. Um, it happened to everyone in every country, every gymnast, um, and till the... The documentary um, Athlete A came out on Netflix last year. It was such an eye-opener for the world because um, I think as kids, um, you know, we don't have a lot of education and understanding. Most of the time we're just doing what we're told and learning and growing as we go. But as a kid, when something doesn't feel right, it feels wrong in your tummy and in your gut. You don't know, but something, you know, for years, something always just sort of felt wrong when certain scenarios would happen. Um, and up when that documentary came out and we learnt about the history of gymnastics and how it went from being a woman's sport back in the day to these two coaches coaching Nadia Comaneci, who was 14, to win a gold medal at the Olympic Games and how that shifted and how every coach, every institute, every country wanted to learn from these coaches and it shifted from a woman's sport to a girl's sport. And, um, you know, I, I look back and I, I truly don't believe coaches are bad people. I just think they've been brought up through years and years and decades of misinformed education and, and, and coaching styles. So, yeah, um, when this documentary came out, I, I guess it gave us this space to finally go, wow, like we're not crazy. Something was wrong all those years. This wasn't right. This shouldn't have been this way. Um, and it was, it's ripple. It had this ripple effect across the sport, across the world, all these gymnasts coming out and um, certain institutes that were still doing the wrong thing have sort of been highlighted and, pointed out and um, I think it's been the most amazing thing for the sport in general because I've also been on the other side. After Beijing, I'd signed this full-ride scholarship to college in America and this gym, this atmosphere at Oregon State was so positive. Their coaching style was a compliment sandwich. You know, you'd take a turn on the bar and I was so used to, one, either being ignored by the coach or, two, I just hear, no, I'm not good enough, do it again, you know. Um, so I'd do this turn and they'd be like, that was awesome. Your handstand was so good. You could snap your feet a little faster, but great work. Your effort was gospel. And I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> this is incredible. Um, actually got like, I improved so much in four years in wow. that environment than my whole 11 years in Australia. It was, it was crazy. So there's, it doesn't need to be you know, this fear culture. It doesn't need to be, you know, verbal abuse and bribes and threats and, um, yeah, so, yeah, the last, you know, year and a half has been awesome for all of us to just be able to go, yeah, okay, this 
I'm not, I'm not nuts. This wasn't right. It explains, you know, a lot of why we're so hypercritical and always chasing perfection and can't forgive ourselves and blame ourselves. And um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was, I'm so glad it came out. And, you know, I'm, it's really unfortunate that it surrounded this incident that happened in America, but I think for the future and of gymnastics, it's amazing. And even just for the girls that have grown up um, and just having this really safe space and um, being able to come out about it now and start to heal, which is really great. And I love that you mentioned that aspect of mindset because I think, you know, as you're sharing, it's not, you know, this is the priority, but it's not only about, you know, humanizing high performers more in the sense of treating them with respect and dignity, but it's also the ripple effect of this is that your performance improves, as you shared, like your your performance did improve over those four years compared to the previous 11. And I think that is so something that has to be highlighted for maybe more of these coaches that have that traditional approach, that this isn't just about taking care of the person, but if they're so focused on the performance, they have to also accept that this increases the, the, the performance aspect. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think it's, it's, I think it's really, it's just different. It's very different when it comes to sports that are, are dealing with, with kids, you know, it's such a crucial mm-hmm. time in their life where their brain is developing as well. And I get it. Like, you know, coaches put in hours and hours and programs and um you know it's not an easy job and no one does it because they hate kids or they hate people or athletes um and it is it's hard when you know with kids if they don't want to do it they don't want to do it like that's it it's you can't pressure it whereas you know when you're dealing with adults they're there because they want to you know they're fully aware. They know what's going on. They know the work that has to be done and why you're doing it. It's just different. It's different with kids. And, um, yeah, so it's, it, does, it, it is a different mindset for sure. And you retired from gymnastics in 2016. What was the influence behind that? I got kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty that's a strong I mean, influence. <laughs> It's, um, you know, America truly changed me. It felt like when I was there over my four years, I was reconnected to that eight-year-old girl that fell in love with the sport and the gym and this aspect and the feeling you get from flying and putting in the hard work and then being able to celebrate that in your competitions. Um, I just, I knew I wasn't done. I, I, I still had so much love for this sport. So I came back. Um, I did a, another World Championships and Com Games, um, but then it's just it went back to the same. It was the same culture. It hadn't changed, um, and it just it sucked the life and the love out of me. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't twelve years old anymore. And mm-hmm. at my last World Champs, the team manager there, um, I was talking to the men's team, like just placid, like friend. There was nothing, you know, going on. And she yelled at me like I was 12 years old for talking to the Australian men's team that were staying on the same floor as us. And I just put my hand out and I said, I am 25. You can't talk to me like this anymore. Like, this is ridiculous. And 
um, yeah, the, the culture, the sport, the institute, they don't like when people talk back. <laughs> and I pretty much after that I was, yeah, burnt again, back to that feeling of feeling broken. Um, and I said I need a break, I need to take a break. And, yeah, next week I got this letter saying uh, we'd like to congratulate you on your retirement. So wow. that was um, that was that. It was a, a forced decision, but I don't sort of regret it. Um, I really did need a break, and I took a break from everything, like all fitness. I just I was so fizzled, I was so burnt out, um, and I went just into full time work, which I also loved, and I got a lot of joy out of that, and was able to sort of put my focus and my goal setting into a, a new realm. Um, but man, I just, I stayed away from fitness for years. You couldn't even bribe me to go to a yoga class and I love bribes. So that was saying something. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, did nothing until Ninja came around. So what do you think was in that? Because I find that so incredibly interesting and I feel like it is a common pattern amongst elite athletes that really have that immersive sort of life of being in their sport and then they almost get to a point as you're saying that for for years you kind of didn't want to go like anywhere near some form of exercise Mm. what was like the emotion underlying that was it like like obviously you said that you sort of experienced burnout but I feel like burnout it doesn't sort of take two years right is there like an underlying emotion of resentment or something underneath that probably um you know, I definitely wasn't stoked when I got this letter in the mail saying, mm. hey, you're retired. Um, and that was it. Like you feel because as an elite Olympic athlete, you don't get paid. You don't you're not supported. Mm. You're um, you're essentially paying to represent your country at the highest level of sport. It's it's insane. You know, you speak to AFL players and rugby players and because sometimes they'd use a gym and, you know, it'd be like you're training 34 hours a week and you're paying to do it? What? Um, yeah, you do. You sacrifice a lot. You give up a lot um, for your gym, for your coaches, for your team, for the support staff, for your country, um, and you feel like you just you get nothing back. Um, it's it's a hard one, especially for athletes that give so much um, of their time and their effort and their goals to their sport and to the institute. And then when it ends, you're like, there's 34 hours a week of what it was my life, was my blood, my sweat, my tears, my dreams. Um, where does, what do I do? Where do I go? What do I do now? Um, I think I was incredibly fortunate. I went balls to the wall in a cafe, um, which took up all my time and effort and energy. Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty confident I would have fallen into that, you know, post-athletic career depression state that a lot of them, a lot of them do. I saw a lot of it. I still see a lot of it. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure a large part of me just hated the facts about it, hated the disrespect and, the nothingness, the nothingness that comes after such a career like that. In seeing, you know, others experience that sort of post-athlete depression, 
what advice would you give people experiencing that? Is it to sort of regroup and set another goal that's obviously outside of what they've been spending their life doing previous to that? It's just being able to to get that goal inside again and work towards something? Yeah, I mean, when you when you do deal with athletes, they tend to be very goal-driven. Um, mm. It's sort of what helps them run and motivates them in a sense. Um, you know, if I'm, I would say, first of all, just, uh, you know, be really kind to yourself, kind to your mind mm. um, and know that even if this time you're not okay, it's okay. Um, this is perfectly normal. Um, this is a normal part of the journey. Um, and in some ways, these really down periods helps us appreciate the good times and those, you know, the times when everything is going going well and you're focused and driven. Um, so, yeah, having a little education that this it can happen and this is totally normal is probably the first thing I'd say. And then also... I'd, I'd encourage them just to try a, a bunch of different things, like the most random things they can think of. Um, because if I, when I got that phone call that said, hey, do you want to fly to Sydney and do this show? I had no idea what Ninja was. I thought I was doing the show Wipeout. That's what I thought <laughs> I was in for. Um, and if I'd said no to that, I'm not sure where I'd be. I'm not sure what my life would have turned out to. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say just say yes to everything. Try a bunch of different stuff. You know, you you have no idea what you're going, like what you could fall in love with next. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, again, just know that it's okay to not feel okay, and and just try a bunch of stuff. Yeah, well, certainly Ninja Warrior is probably something that you would have never imagined being a part of. And I I absolutely love that about life because I think that's so representative that you can't always plan and and the idea of trying new things can take you in such amazing directions. So talk to me about Ninja Warrior because obviously this is where you become more known within particularly Australia and, I mean, also internationally. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't even know where to start with you on this. It's such a, a big experience for you. I was sort of looking back over the years for you and it's just been so incredibly immersive. And even looking back from sort of the first season up until now, I can only imagine you as a person has just changed and evolved so much. So yeah. maybe where we could start, Olivia, is sort of sort of getting to know the Olivia that came into that first sort of first season it was post gymnastics retirement you know cafe yeah. owner going yeah. into that space and and we can move up to sort of where you are with it now <laughs> oh man I, st- I will never forget the- you never forget your first time and I was I remember it was 10 30 we were like the, the cafe was quiet my phone went off and I was like yeah sure I'll answer it there's this lady on the other side. She's like, hey, and I think they were recruiting a lot of former Olympic gymnasts because um, Ninja is such an expensive production. Um, I can only imagine they would have been terrified um, to not have any, you know, anyone that would be Get remotely through. good at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so, um, yeah, they, she asked me, hey, we'd love to fly you to Sydney. We'll put you up in a hotel um, and they were just like, just do some obstacles on this new TV show. And I was like, sweet, a free trip to Sydney. That was like, <laughs> that was all I was thinking of. And I was like, oh, it's like, 
Yeah, it's a show like Wipeout. It's whatever. Like it's a gag show. Who cares? So I had no expectations. I had no idea what was going on. We do a full day of media and stuff like that. And then they show you the course an hour before they start filming. Um, so you're not allowed to see it or any, touch it or try it or anything. And I remember when they walked us out and I just saw this, what looked like a super-sized, serious playground. I was like, holy shit, this is not wipe out. Um, <laughs> And, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> a very unique experience. At the same time, again, I didn't have any expectations. I hadn't done any physical training in years, um, mm-hmm. which I regretted now when I was there. But, um, yeah, I just I had a lot of fun. I got to the warp wall. Um, I ran into it three times. Like, what is a warp wall? What is, who does that? Right. Who runs the wall? Like, what is it? I just tried to run fast. I'm a terrible runner initially but yeah I like kissed the wall three times and failed and um but I had such a great experience and when I learned that I wasn't going through to semi-finals it broke my heart like mm. for the first time in years I wanted to like I wanted mm. I wanted more of this um so when I, I flew back to Perth and I was a little sad and I finally googled Ninja Warrior and <laughs> yeah oh my god but um Perth has a ninja gym called Ninja Academy. And I was like, hey, Siri, what is this? Like, what? Who has a ninja academy? What? <laughs> Come on. Like, this is just a gag TV show, right? But no, there's a full history. Like, it's mm. it started in Japan, you know, many, many years ago as Sasuke and then America picked it up as Ninja Warrior and franchised it and made it this big thing and, um yeah, I just I went to this gym and they had a warp wall, so I started this warp wall and failing it every time. And I, I I fell in love with this style of training. It felt like you're the kid at the playground again, um, just trying all these new things. And, you know, the more I went, which started off at one day a week and then two and then three, and then I bought a membership because it's really expensive to do the one-off sessions. And um I got immersed into this community and this culture as well, uh, which is so, it's so unlike anything. Um, Everyone's there, just you're playing essentially and you're challenging each other and you're helping one another. Um, You know, people were helping me with techniques to get through certain things and, you know, once I'd learned the technique and then I'd see new people come in, you know, you pass it on and it's the most beautiful culture um, and I met my now boyfriend, uh, Ben Polson, training there. And, oh, man, for months. Like, he'd walk around with no shirt and I'd always think he was, like, the god, the god of the gym. <laughs> um, but I didn't want to shit where I eat, you know. Like, right, I right. love the gym or whatever. <laughs> so we would just do random highs and he'd always give this awkward side hug. Um, but after the show aired, season one came to air, like, eight months after we'd filmed it, mm. um, Australia just got ninja fever um now everyone knew what it was and the gym was just it was pumping um so four of us got together to create try and create like these programs to help people um you know uh get into it and you know learn all these techniques and stuff like that and yeah just during one of these meeting sessions two of the other people didn't show up and it was just ben and i and (laughs) We ended up like chatting for six hours and got no work done and um, <laughs> sort of been together since then. Um, 
yeah, going back into season two, like it took me six months to learn how to do a walk wall and I knew wow. I could do it and I was terrified for that run, that heat run because although I knew I could do the last obstacle, there was five before it that I hadn't touched or mm. had no idea and um, ended up getting to the wall, did this specky backflip <laughs> and I landed into the grand final as well that year, uh, which was cool, it was unexpected. And that's when I guess I sort of tapped into that um, mindset that I'd learned in America because, you know, America don't go to the Olympics for the free T-shirt, you know. They right. go there to win. Yeah. It's a different, it's, it's different there. Um, and I sort of like just asked myself why was my goal just to beat a wall? Uh, why don't I shift my mindset and my mentality and go for it? Like just absolutely done it for Mount Midoriyama and it's terrifying because you feel so dumb you know I'm in a field competing against these men that have muscles that I'll never be able to grow and you feel uh, yeah you feel a bit weird but at the same time I don't know I've just why not just sort of just absolutely leave no stone unturned and um, it's hard to get from a place from you know thinking I think I can to I know I can. It's a really mm. tough leap of self-belief, but um, I've just tried to keep working at that because um, it is the driver. And, um, yeah, I don't know, this this show and has flipped my life upside down 180. I've gone from, like, not, you know, I wouldn't even walk fast. I hated exercise to I'm now, like, super passionate about fitness and, mindset and um this show and inspiring other women and you know over the years of course just like gymnastics my why has changed like mm. my first year was a free trip to Sydney and an opportunity <laughs> to perv on shirtless men that was my why um and it look went where from, that leads you <laughs> I know I landed one of them Woo! Um, <laughs> but yeah and then you know from beating a a, a, a wall to wanting to win the show and even now it's it's shifting into this space of I really want to continue to inspire other young girls and young women and um, females to just absolutely go for it believe themselves and and chase their dreams so yeah it's it's been a crazy experience but it's incredible honestly it's the best tv show in my opinion um, I love how much of it like genuine inspiration you have been to not only you know younger girls and women and and everybody really but there was something that I did notice on your social media Olivia and you spoke about sort of being concerned in letting younger girls down because you know that you have such a big following in that can you sort of speak more about sort of that pressure that you do feel to I guess continue to meet your goals and, and achieve more? Of course, because, I mean, you know, one, I've said it out loud. I've said it on the show. You know, I want to win. I want to mm -hmm. be the first woman in the world to, to actually beat this show. Um, and so you say it out loud. So you're, you're kind of accountable in some way. But over the years, you know, the last four years alone, I've been the only female in the grand mm -hmm. final. And at first I was like, cool, this is this is special. Um, but the last two and a half years, you start to feel that pressure. And when you get to the grand final and, again, you're the only girl, you, you know and you understand that 
the female population watching this show is now relying on you. Um, and it's like, I won't lie, it can be a lot. Um, again, it's all in my own mind and we all just put it, the pressure on ourselves. Um, but every year when I fall, and it happens every year, I fall every year, but I, these mothers sent me, send me photos of their girls crying. Oh, like, wow. They won't even stick around to listen to the post-fall interview. They're in their bedroom <laughs> face down, bawling their eyes out into the pillow. And as funny and as cute as it is, part of my heart's just like crying with them. I just, mm. I feel really bad. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to fall. Like, well. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it is really sweet. But, I, yeah, some years I, I definitely feel that pressure and that expectation. Mm. Um, so, you know, this season six has been announced and I've sort of, made it, I guess, a part of my goal to just help the other girls. Uh, we've already started group chats and um, some seminars and stuff like that to just help the women because um, it is the course I find and the whole experience is very mental. Um, and, you know, if you say you can't or you say you can, either way, you're right. right. And a lot of the girls will step up there and go, I can't beat these guys. And it's, it's that shift and that mentality and having to trust yourself and um, and go for it. So it's it's tough, but I, I really want just an army of women in that grand final because I know we're capable. Like we have the strongest women um, and they're so, so capable. So, yeah, I really want to share that joy and that feeling that you get when you do accomplish something like that uh, with the other girls. And what is your practice of self-belief? Because it's certainly something that when I think of you, I think of like a really solid self-belief mindset. Is it something as you're sharing, like do you have a practice or is it sort of every day you just sort of repeat to yourself certain things or is it sort of more of an embodiment? Like how do you actually go throughout your day being conscious of your self-belief? I think um, for me it's interesting this this last year and a half, um, you know, when this documentary came out and I was already working um, with Black Dog Institute, helping high schoolers with their mental health. Um, and with that, you know, I think it's really important to check in with your own psychologist and check in. And so I'd already started this journey of self-awareness. Um, and then we, when we dove into the history of gymnastics and what it did growing up in such an environment, actually like to my core um and it's hard and it was so hard to realize and find and say out loud for the first time I'm getting better at it now but to my core from those years I believe that I'm worthless and that's such mm -hmm. a hard core belief to actually you know discover and realize and start dealing with um so for me that all the work that we're doing mentally it does come down to those everyday practices, whether it's writing stuff up where you see it every day to remind yourself um, of stuff. But a big part of it, I think for me, I try and draw confidence in my training, um, the work that I put in both physically and mentally so I can show, show up, which given this course that looks absolutely ridiculously impossible <laughs> and I can sort of, and then go, you know what? I've trained. I've like I've right. trained for this. Um, and I try and draw the confidence from that um that training and 
try and almost dumb down the obstacles a little bit and visualize and I really sort of tap into those mental practices um, because it's terrifying like when you step up on that platform the lights the camera the cheers like it's it's honestly like everyone tells me I look so comfortable and calm and and ready up there I'm telling you that is the fakest smile I give every year that's the fakest wave to the crowd the kiss to Ben um I'm shooting my pants up there honestly it's yeah it's scary but it's so rewarding pushing past that fear Mm. um and yeah and putting yourself to new levels of what you're capable of and um but yeah for me like I think that self-belief and that um those core drivers come from the everyday practices of trying to be kind to your mind and writing stuff up so you see it every day and um then drawing confidence from the work that you put in so yeah it's tough it's it's tough though it really is. It's it is challenging, and it it's it's so necessary to be a daily practice because you think of, and I can certainly relate to the I am worthless. I I have more of a I am not enough, which mm. you know they're almost all in the same thing. But you know you think about how much of your life you've spent really believing that, and then it's like you really have to start rewiring your brain the other way. And you know you may have spent decades believing this belief, so it's you know, as you're sort of saying, you know, bring that kindness and and I guess like the patience within yourself to understand that this may take longer than what you'd really like to truly believe what you want to believe within totally. yourself. Totally. I know. It's it's so hard, you know. it's I would rather do a physical session any day of the week than a mental <laughs> yeah. session. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. And then even... After you do go through that process of learning about yourself and digging into that self-awareness, even then comes this realisation, you're like, damn it, I wish I could go back to before when I was ignorant. Ignorance is bliss, you know. (laughs) Um, Someone once said, um, which really I thought was really funny because it's true, is like when you get to a new level, there's a new devil, you know, Mm -hmm. and once you understand that, oh, gosh, I'm like this was you know, this belief has come from years and years of this scenario and this culture and, yeah, trying to sort of rewire it as an adult is, is tough. It's tough. Mm-hmm. You're already in so many habits and it's been wired in so deep and so strong. And, um, but yeah, it's, it, is, it is a daily practice and not, not every day is, is going to be a good one either, which I think is also important too. And you mentioned the... The pressures that you slightly feel, which you know you did say are self-inflicted to an extent, of the audience. Do you ever feel the pressures from sort of the production itself? Because you know, obviously, you being part of Ninja Warrior, like you, are pretty much the face of it. Particularly when it comes to being female, like I associate Ninja Warrior with you. Do mm. you feel the pressures of sort of having to show up? from sort of, I guess, like a television and performance standpoint? I think so. Um, uh, yeah, again, it's a lot of what I put on myself. Um, mm-hmm. the, pro- the production team of Ninja Warrior, I can tell you right now, are so incredible. They are mm. so kind. They're so passionate. They want every single ninja to do the best they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um because it's, it's tough. Like this, they just whack in the course and it's not easy and that's the drama. That's the drama of the show. But the producers and themselves 
are so supportive and um, they're so positive, which I think is amazing. Um, but it's not a show where we get paid to do it, um, yeah. which I think a lot of people are like, what? No, you should be <laughs> damn well rich by now. No, it's, it's, a, it's a competition. You know, you get paid if you win or you win the prize mm. money. Um, so I guess, you know, there's there's pressure of what I've done in the past and wanting and me wanting to keep getting better and doing better, but at the same time it's not like I'm being paid to perform really well. There's right. you know, there's no pressure from that. And at the same time I understand TV. And if I went down on the first obstacle in the heats and that was it, it's also a big dramatic moment, you know, yeah. TV. We love we love drama. So <laughs> <We do. laughs> Um, I would just hope if that were ever to happen, I hope the other women would be able to step up and carry. And I'm really hoping that season six about mm. the females. Yes, I do it for the girls. It's for the girls season six. <laughs> yeah, so I am for that. <laughs> yeah. And tell me, what is it like competing with your partner? <laughs> <laughs> Particularly to uh. such a elite level as well you know you're not just sort of going out in the backyard to play a game of cricket like this is mm. you're both so deeply passionate and so you you both are such high achievers when it comes to this so similar in those ways what really does you know separate you potentially is sort of that gender to an extent when you say you can't have muscles as big as ben you know, what is it like being having to kind of compete? Because I assume training's great, but when you're sort of in the real moment, is it any different? I think it's really helpful that we both understand the experience because it is, it's mm. totally different, I think, to what people might think. Like it's a full day event, full day, full night. You start interviews in the morning. There's a lot of waiting around. There's medical tests, there's physical tests. Um, you know, TV, you just hurry up to wait around and then they show you the course around 7 p.m. and then you start filming at 9 p.m. and you're not given a run order and filming will finish at 4 a.m. Like it's a full experience. So it helps to have someone that gets it and understands mm. the mental highs and dumps um, from it all. Um, we are competitive with each other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if there's ever a time in anything that I beat him, I'm so damn excited about it. Um, <laughs> he's he's so good, um, and it's it's nice to have someone there on the side that whether you make it or whether you don't, they support you regardless. Um, I t in the past though, like Ben's now fallen in the semi-finals three times um, on the fifth obstacle. <laughs> it's like a curse for him. And I tell you, it's it's really difficult when you've have had a really great night. I've mm. filmed, like, hit a buzzer. I'm super stoked. I'm on a high. You have to go back to the same hotel room with each other and right. you want to celebrate, like, but the other person has not had a great night and, yeah, you feel like a part of you has to calm your farm a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's to, difficult. That is difficult. Yeah, not to rub it And I'm in sure he's eyes. trying to like elevate himself more than probably what he feels as well, right? You're kind of trying to meet somewhere. Yeah, yeah. it's it, it, it is hard. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't trade it. It's, it mm. it's really, it's nice to have someone that gets it. And at the same time, you know, 
whether I'm watching Ben run first because um, we don't get to watch each other. Um, you know, it's seen as an advantage if you get to see a, a range of different people and how they get through an obstacle and what, it, you know. Um, but I get taken out for Ben if he runs first. But at the same time, like the way that Ben would ever do an obstacle, I just, I couldn't. One, he's like six six foot a thousand. He stands <laughs> on a tramp and reaches the obstacle where I have to like punch <laughs> the biggest punch of my life just to get up there. Yeah. And he's got this massive wingspan and he all these gangly legs. Um, so, <laughs> You know, even watching him do the course, I can't, I can't go. Oh, he did it that way. I, I should do it that mm. way because I'm totally different. I don't have those big biceps. I have to use my body awareness and my my swing and everything else. So, um, yeah, it's I guess where those athletes that although we're doing the same course, we always do it differently to one another as well. Mm. And in terms of I'd love to speak to you about injury because I know that in the past you've broken your back, which sort of put you out for a couple of months in your life, which I think is really big, particularly for an elite athlete. These things can be extremely challenging to our mental health. And I know more recently you have injured your elbow, which is a tricky one in terms of being training for for Ninja Warrior that makes things difficult. I'd love to know sort of what you do in your day-to-day when you are injured and it significantly impacts what you're doing, how do you sort of keep yourself like positive and, and in a good state with that? Yeah. Um, like I find injuries, you know, although they are a physical damage to yourself, I find that they're so mental. It's so tough and I get it. And it doesn't matter what injury it is. It could be your nostril for crying out loud. Like this last week, I had a bug fly into my eye and get stuck behind my eyeball for 20 minutes. It was great. Oh it was traumatic, right? That's like, frightening. <laughs> it was awful. Queensland, Queensland, I'm telling you. But, um, Australia. <laughs> yeah, no matter what it is, it's always a mental uh, battle. And, again, one of the practices and lessons you sort of have to apply every day for me is a big one is gratitude. Um so every day at 3.21 p.m. my watch goes off. It used to be my phone, but now i got a watch that vibrates, which is really great. Um, and I call it my gratitude minute. And no matter what I'm doing, I have to stop and think about three things I'm really thankful for that day. So even when it comes to injury, you know, even though my elbow is absolutely cooked at the moment and I can't even hang off a bar, you know what? My abs work and my legs work and my other arm works. You have to come back to what I can move, what I can work on. Um, so, yeah, I find that, you know, it's because it, injuries test your patience big time and you just keep thinking about all these things you can't do. And I think for a lot of the time, even the generations now and the day and age we're in, you know, we're constantly swiping up or down or left and right and teaching our brains to seek out new things and instant gratification which I think is uh it's so damaging to resilience um so you know and with injury like this is it's not an instant fix and to sort of learn to just be grateful and patient yeah I completely back that as well it's so important in terms of sort of I know that obviously it's important to you to inspire younger girls and women but I'm going to sort of put everyone in the one basket you're such a high achiever and you're phenomenal I feel in anything that you put yourself out there 
and trying to achieve? What is the one thing that's really supported you sort of since the day of gymnastics up into Ninja Warrior that you feel like you can really solidly hold on to? Oh, such a, a good question. Um, and it's it's always a combination of lots of different things. Mm. Um, I guess for me what, you know, I guess I've almost had to rely on is self-belief. Um, yeah. You know, even like in the days and the months and, the you know, the years I spent being told that I couldn't do it or I am not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm worthless, like, I've always had to come back and rely on myself and that little voice, like as quiet as it was sometimes, it said, no, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just tapping in and, and trusting in that little voice inside and your gut. And uh, For me, yeah, it's, it's self-belief, and yeah. which is not always there every day. I have days where I'm like, no, I cannot. <laughs> I just cannot. I know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot it's of those. It's not going to happen today. <laughs> exactly, oh, it's normal. Yeah. We're human, yeah. but um, yeah, for me, it's that. It's, yeah, it comes down to self belief. I think mm. if there was the one thing, you know, there's lots of things I love to preach, <laughs> but um, the big one for me is self belief. Yeah, and just to have that element of kindness and self compassion on those days that you don't feel like you're truly showing up how you want to. It's certainly something I've learned in my life when I started valuing self-belief more and, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I'm like really in this. And then, you know, you'd have that day where you really don't feel it. And you're like, you'd become really confused. Like, hang on. Like, I thought I was on a really good path here, but it's understanding that there is ebbs and flows and to to really be able to recognize the days that you don't feel as strong in that and that's okay and I feel like that's so healing in itself and I feel like it is a big contributor to having having a deepening sense of self-belief because you give yourself that space to not always show up as that perfect person that you aspire to. Totally yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely that's such a great point you have to give yourself permission um, on those days and um yeah it's it's a really good one especially because self-belief is it just doesn't come to everyone it's not natural for everyone it's it's really tricky to sort of actually wholeheartedly um do it and believe in it um I guess the other one which I've learned sort of more recently after doing a lot of work on myself is that you know slip-ups and mistakes are a good thing um (laughs) You know, they, you don't see it as too hard or impossible. You see it as a challenge and you use mistakes as learning opportunities and um, stepping stones towards the top. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's another one I've sort of learned recently. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Olivia, for this wonderful conversation. I've truly enjoyed it thoroughly and it's been wonderful to hear more of your backstory as well. I always think that's so important when we feel like we get to know people on the television. It's really lovely to sort of um, get to know the deeper aspects of them. So thank you so much for for coming on this podcast and sharing your story. My pleasure. Absolutely. (laughs) I think we learn a lot from sharing. So, you know, thank you for creating this space and this opportunity um you know one to help each other and to help a lot of other listeners out there so thank you beautiful well on a final note olivia i would love to ask you what does it mean to you to be human (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a good question Uh, for me (laughs) being human i guess is this unbelievable 
um, opportunity to to learn and to create and to experience um, and you know if we can all sort of just again just be kinder to ourselves give ourselves permission um, and understanding that um, that growth is something that is always the constant when it comes to the journey of life um, we can get a lot more out of it beautiful thank you <laughs> thank you I have no idea what I just said 